This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 30th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, waking up early out here uh, in Phoenix. Uh, The start of game three is hours away. Taylor Schwenk and Parker Owens are back in Connecticut. Taylor, how you doing? Buster, doing well this morning. Great weekend of baseball. A little sad yesterday not to have any action, but uh, eager to get back at it tonight. And we're going to do some podcasting after the game. Extra excited. Nice. Yeah, I'm fired up for that later today. And on today's podcast, let's stay for this. Look, we're going to do all kinds of World Series talk. We had Sarah Langs coming up. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchner. We're going to be talking with Eric Young, a longtime uh, coach uh, of the Atlanta Braves. But I would encourage everyone to stay on the podcast today to hear Joey Votto uh, tell a story about Dusty Baker, someone who managed him in Cincinnati. All right. In game one of the World Series on Friday night, the Texas Rangers were losing by two runs. Bottom of the ninth inning, Corey Seager came up to the plate against Paul Seawald. Tying run at the plate. Seawald fires. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field. Forget it. We are tied. A no-doubter to right field, Corey Seager, and it is 5-5. He crushed the first pitch from Seawall, and listen to this place. Yeah, that, of course, was the voice of the legend, Boog Chambi, calling Game 1 of the World Series on ESPN Radio, and his description is a no-doubter, no question. I mean, Corey Seager, it felt like even he was just finishing his follow-through on his swing. Uh, and was pumping his fists to his teammates because that ball was so well struck. Well, they go into the bottom of the 11th inning. This is what happened with Adolis Garcia. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Right field. Carroll back. Back some more. Gone! Ball game! Adolis Garcia the opposite way. And the Rangers walk it off in extras. 6-5 and Garcia... Headed to the plate and about to be mobbed. What a finish. And right after that, I talked with Corey Seager. Corey, what was that game like to play in? Man, that was awesome, wasn't it? That was a bunch of fun. You know, this is what playoff baseball is about. This crowd, this team, the emotion, it was a lot of fun. All right, you come to the plate against Seawald. who has been so great in this postseason, beating hitters with high fastballs. What was your plan? Um, you know, we we're just trying to get on top of him. You know, he's effective up in the zone, and unfortunately, we did. Tell me, what it felt like off the bat. It was a lot of fun. That's all I can say. It was a lot of fun. All right, Adolis Garcia. What was your feeling as he came up to the plate in that last at bat? He's been our guy all postseason, man. He he stepped up in big moments. Special players like that do that, and he's been carrying us this whole postseason. And why not again tonight, right? What'd you learn about the Diamondbacks tonight? They're a good team, you know, we knew that coming in. They're never going to give up. They're going to battle. they got a good bullpen, good starting pitching. You know, it's going to be a tough battle for us. Corey, thanks. Back to you. Corey couldn't wait to get to his teammates to celebrate that win, right? He just wants to get through the interviews and and, uh, go and have fun in the clubhouse. In game two, it was all about the dominance of Merrill Kelly, who uh, pitched the Diamondbacks to a victory. Here's what it sounded like. Here's a 3-2. In there, got him looking. No argument from Heim. How about Merrill Kelly? Nine strikeouts. He is pumped up. What a performance by the right-hander. And after the game, I spoke with Merrill Kelly. Merrill, you filled the strike zone tonight. 18 of 24, first pitch strikes. Only two of the 24 hitters saw hitters count 2-0 or 3-1. When did you get a sense that you were going to be able to command the zone? 
Uh, I felt pretty good in that first inning. I felt like, for me, the first inning's big. If I can get through it unscathed, uh, I feel pretty confident going into the rest of the game. Obviously, their one, two, three are, are tough to get through. So I felt like if I was able to kind of get ahead of them and get through that first inning, I had a pretty good shot. How did you and Gabby Moreno work well together tonight? Yeah, Gabby did a great job back there. I got to give him a lot of credit. Um, with the pitch comp, it's an interesting dynamic now that I can call pitches and he can call pitches. Uh, I think we kind of feed off each other. Um, when I call stuff, he knows what I want to do. And when he calls stuff, obviously I go with him. I, I trust what he's putting down. A potent Texas lineup. What did you take away from game one that uh, educated you for tonight? Uh, I got to, right now it's kind of, it's a little quick in my mind. I got to go back and kind of look at the video. Um, I'm glad that we were able to execute our game plan tonight. Uh, but we'll go back to the video and kind of try to build on that for the next game. How are you feeling going back to Arizona, one all? feel pretty good. Obviously, leaving uh, Philly, we were down 2-0. Um, so leaving anywhere one-to-one uh, -one going home is, is definitely a better feeling. Sunday, of course, was a travel day as we prepare for games 3, 4, and 5 is in Arizona. Here's Tori Lovello, manager of the Diamondbacks, talking about the series moving forward. I said it when we were in Philadelphia. I don't care if we're playing on the moon. we got to go out and do the things the right way and play at a very high level. And we prepare, you know, obviously not to play on the move, but we play, prepare for any type of circumstance to be able to, to, to compete. Here's Rangers manager Bruce Bochy. That's hard to explain. Uh, you know, both teams have played well on the road. You need to when you're in the postseason. I'll start with that. you got to find a way uh, to win a game on the road. And obviously in that last series we did. But uh, you know what? It's... Um, it, it's always a great sign, I think, that, you know, guys are staying focused on the road. Uh, you know, sometimes on a road you do spend more time together. I, I know you do, and, you know, you know that can bring a team uh, uh, together and, and uh, just, you know, just build that, you know, that chemistry you, you love about a club. And that sometimes that happens on the road with the travel and, you know, staying at the hotel and coming to the ballpark. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, new episode of the College Game Day podcast. Pete Thamel, back. He was on assignment last week. We're happy to uh, have him return to the fold. We got Bill Connolly, in addition to Reese Davis, manning the fort today. Check it out on this podcasting platform or on YouTube. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing on this Monday? I'm well, Buster. How's it going? I'm doing well. Uh, the sun is coming up out here in Phoenix and you know, you, you remember that uh, because it's uh, we're in, in Pacific time, we'll be going out to the ballpark at noon today. And uh, so we got an early start out here, that's for sure. Uh, we're at a hotel that Eduardo Perez picked out for us. What do you think that's like? Uh, I'm sure it's opulent. I'm sure there's food in the room when you get there. I'm sure they're made service 12 hours a day. <laughs> Eddie's the best. Just give him anything to do and it will get done because people just give stuff to Eddie. They just do stuff for Eddie, whether he asks them to do it or not. He's America's guest. And if you hang out with him, nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah. And I, uh, I've had this conversation with his dad, the hall of famer, Tony Perez. I I've said to him, my God, you guys did an amazing job of raising Eduardo. Like he's like the nicest person ever. Uh, and the way that he treats people. I'm sure you can back me up on that. Yeah, and because he treats everyone so well, they treat him well in return. He just has this knack for acting like he's been there before, no matter what situation we're in. Like, we were in Chicago once. But there's no chance we were going to make this flight. And he went up to this lady and said, we got to get through security now. And she said, go ahead. And we, we jumped in front of like 100 people. It was Typical Eduardo, and it was great. Man, I've never heard that story before. At some point, you'll have to expand on that for me. Well, yeah. Eduardo said, we're on TV. You have to let us through. <laughs> like, that's actually important. So she said, okay, and she let us through. It was so great. Man. All right, so we're through two games of the World Series. Have we really learned anything that can tell us who's going to win this thing, Tim? Can you can no, you discern no, anything? No, I, you know, no <laughs> Buster. There is no discerning. There's been no discerning for the entire regular season. There's been no discerning for the postseason. This is why it's the best game ever, is that you can't get a read on anything anymore. Just when you think you understand, oh, the Rangers are great or the Rangers are in trouble, you realize the opposite is happening. And that's how this entire season has gone. That's who the Diamondbacks are. They lost nine games in a row. Buster, this is the only World Series ever in which both participants each lost at least eight games in a row at one point during the season. It's the perfect understanding of we don't understand this. So I can give you all these great theories and here's what's going to happen next. But that's ridiculous. We don't know what's going to happen one minute from now. And we insist on trying to figure out what's going to happen a week from now. So let's just watch the games and then react. Yeah, so I was on uh, radio after each game's one and two, and the the question after game one was, can the Diamondbacks recover from this, you know, from this devastating loss, this incredible comeback? And and I just was kind of, when I heard the question, it was just shaking my head. I'm like, what have they been doing the whole postseason? And, you know, when the Rangers lost game two and were completely shut down, what a wonderful job by Merrill Kelly and how he pitched that. The question was, can can the Rangers recover from losing one game at home? And my response was they've won every game they played on the road. <laughs> like, right. like, I don't think they're going to be phased by right. that necessarily, which is uh, the unusual path that these two teams have taken to get to this moment tells you, we don't know. 
<laughs> right. And we don't want to know. Baseball is too good to be predicted. Every season, every team is capable of recovering and every team is capable of falling. So what happens tonight? Let, let's see. But it, it, whatever happens, it shouldn't surprise us. All right. So let's talk about what happened in, in game one. First off, before the game, we were talking with Bruce Bochy. We asked him about the, the Diamondbacks running game. And Boach, it surprised me a little bit because he's obviously been around a million, million uh, situations. And and he was, I don't want to use the word dismissive. That's too strong. But he was kind of like, eh, it's simple. Just keep your times under 1-4. You know, vary your pickoff moves, that sort of thing. And you'll be okay. Tim, I think that uh, the Diamondbacks are a little bit more than what uh, Boach conveyed in that when we met with him before the second game, he had a little different attitude about the Diamondbacks running game, which is remarkable. It is remarkable. They're the only team in history, Buster, to steal four or more bases in three consecutive postseason games ever. And and believe me, I, I covered when everybody ran, when the Cardinals would run and run and run, and they never did what the Diamondbacks have done. And that speed, we've been over this a thousand times, Buster, that speed changes the game. They constantly come at you. It's not just stealing second, stealing third, it's going first to third, it's Corbin Carroll scoring on a ground ball to first base. I mean, that's what happens when you have a young, hungry, fast, athletic team. They constantly push. Buck Walter told me years ago, when another team is better than you, and the Dodgers, let's say, are better than the Diamondbacks, they beat them by 16 games. The only way to beat them is to go after them. If you sit in there and try to take them on, you know, toe-to-toe, you're, you're going to lose. But if you take the first punch and you go right at them and say, we are not afraid of you, that matters. And that's what the Diamondbacks have done. They're not afraid of anyone or any situation. So when Corey Seager came up to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning, I was standing in the runway getting ready to do the interviews on the field. And I said to the Chuck Torres and other folks with Major League Baseball standing around Tim, and I called the home run. I I, I called it uh, with Seager. I said that he has been sitting and waiting, knowing Corey Seager is so uh, detail-oriented in his preparation, and knowing that he had seen Paul Seawald early this year when he was pitching with the Mariners, you just knew he was going to be waiting for that high fastball that we'd seen Seawald beat hitter after hitter after hitter with in the National League playoffs. You knew he was going to be sitting waiting on it, and you knew, Tim, he was going to throw it the first pitch. I haven't had a chance to talk to Seawald about this, but I wonder if he was kicking himself after the game like, yeah, you can go after some hitters with that pitch, that kind of predictable pitch. I don't think Corey Seager was the guy. What did you make of all that? Well, I didn't call it like you did, Buster. I did say he's going to swing at the first pitch, and that was his 13th first pitch home run this year, 11 in the really? regular I didn't know that. In the postseason, and Buster, I covered all 12 of the Rangers games before the World Series began, and he and Simeon jumped that first pitch all the time, and it's it's almost predictable. And sometimes he would make any. It's almost like he would give up a plate appearance, which he never does, by the way. It seemed that way with a lazy fly ball to left field. But what makes him so good is he never thinks, you know, I swung at the first pitch last time and made it out on the first pitch. 
This time he said, I'm swinging at this if it's a high fastball because everyone, just like you said, knows Seawall's high fastball is unhittable unless you know exactly when and where it's coming, and that is precisely what happens. So he's got 17 homers now in the postseason. Only Jeter with 20, Correa with 18 have more among primary shortstops, and his OPS in the postseason is higher than any shortstop in postseason history. That's how good Corey Seager has been, and he saved game one for the Rangers. Adolis Garcia, at this point, I got to believe, and and look, we talked to Torrey Lovello uh, after or before game two, and he talked about how, you know what, Garcia is one of those circle guys. You just can't let him beat you. Uh, and I think they felt like that they had a good plan to face Garcia and they just made a mistake in that situation. What are you seeing in him? Um, well, he's got six homers the last six games. He hit, <laughs> he hit a home run in five straight games. He drove in more runs and he's driven in more runs in this postseason than anyone's ever driven in in any postseason in baseball history. But this is the difference, uh, Buster, having seen him, a really good look at him. He swings harder than any player in the game today. But the difference is, is he's capable of making an adjustment within the at-bat, realizing yes. I just swung as hard as I could at the first pitch, but he gets two strikes or he, he can change his focus. I've seen him hit two line drives to right field where he just made an adjustment. So as Buck Schwalter likes to say, he's not some just big hairy guy who swings as hard as he can. He has a plan when he goes to the plate. Buster, game one, he reached base five times. He doesn't just hit a homer and nothing else. He gets on base. We saw his defense, by the way. That catch in, in, in the ninth inning was just a great catch. He stole a base, got a bet, one of the best throwing arms uh, in the game today. So he's more than just a four hitter who's, who strikes out all the time and hits home runs. He's a, very much a complete player. It's funny you say that. When we, we talked to Boach, uh, before, when we talked to him before game one, he laid out how uh, he sees Garcia able to reset during the course of a plate appearance. And that's something that has changed during his time. Josh Young was talking about this. You could see him take a deep breath. On the first pitch of that plate appearance, Tim, it looked like his body broke because he was swinging so hard and his head flew out. It was the most ridiculous wild swing ever. And he missed the pitch and you're like, okay, where is he? You know, is he just kind of set on playing hero ball? And within a couple of pitches, he resets and he hits a game winning home run to the opposite field. He goes from the most undisciplined swing ever to a very disciplined swing. It was remarkable. Yeah, he's got two opposite field home runs now in the postseason. And each case I looked at and said that that can't get out of here. I mean, he just didn't square it up properly, but he did hit both of them out because he's so unbelievably strong. I didn't think he got either one of those and both of them went out. That's how strong Adolis Garcia is. But the issue is, Buster, as you know, with that Ranger lineup, you can't just, all right, we're not going to let him beat him. We're going to walk him every single time. Because Mitch Garber hit a homer off of Merrill Kelly. Still not sure how he hit that ball out. And Jonah Heim and Tavares and and uh, Josh Young, all those guys can, can hurt you. So you can't just pitch around one guy in the order and think, we'll get through the rest. It's not that easy with this Texas order. Led the league in walks, led the league in runs scored, very dangerous, one to nine. So Mary, Merrill Kelly in game two, after the uh, Diamondbacks lose game one, uh, he uh, presents the roadmap that I think we're going to see the whole series, which is land your breaking stuff, land your breaking stuff, land your off-speed stuff. 
against a team that just crushes fastballs. Now, that's easier said than done. I think you'd agree with me. <laughs> but I think he demonstrated that if you're going to shut down this Rangers lineup, you got to use your off-speed stuff. It's got to be – got to essentially pitch backwards. What do you think? Right. And that's exactly what he's done the entire postseason. Buster, the opponents are one for 21 against him when with runners on base. He wow. when when anyone when there's any trouble, he just gets better. So he's the only pitcher ever to have four consecutive appearances in the postseason, each at least five innings, and no more than three hits in the history of the postseason. Now look, he's not Bob Gibson going nine innings every time, but that's not the point. He was so good the other night, so so efficient and so refined in every way. That was a really impressive performance, Buster. This is why baseball is so great. The light has gone on for this guy, basically at thirty-five years old. Now it went on before <laughs> when he was in Korea and everything else, but for him to have this, you know, this breakthrough moment as a Renaissance major, time, at, right? At age thirty-five, and he just dominates in the World Series, having been to small colleges and Korea and everything else. It just should, no one comes out of the D League or the G League, whatever it's called in the NBA, and and scores thirty-eight in an NBA game, a playoff game. I don't think it works that way, but it works that way in baseball. And I think part of the reason why that the uh, you know the Diamondbacks have have been able to take this journey is because they have this amazing coaching staff. I love their coaching staff, Brent Strom, their pitching coach. He is a coaching superstar. Dave McKay, their first base coach he is a coaching superstar. He's known as the, the guru of all base running gurus. Um, and it feels like, you know, Dan Heron also, when we were talking to Tori Lavelle the other day, he talked about a pitching architect where Dan Heron behind the scenes is giving them strong advice on this is how you work your way through the lineup. This is how you go after this guy. This is how you go after that guy. It looked like Merrill Kelly had all that information when he pitched the game the other day. Right, and Brent Strom's been one of the best pitching coaches in baseball for a long time. And this is what wisdom and experience is all about. I don't know how much he's using spin rate and all the other tools. I just know that when he walks to the mound, he tells his pitchers, this is how we're going to get this guy out. This is how we're going to execute the situation here. And that really matters when a, a fellow of his experience level comes out and tells you what to do. As for Dave McKay, I mean, he was such a crucial guy with Tony LaRusso's staff years and years ago. But now for him to be this good at base running and this team this good at base running. Uh, that really speaks to Tori Lavello. It really values that, as you know. Uh, Kelly Johnson once told me that when Tori was the first base coach, Toronto, uh, I want to say, not important where, he, he would tell Kelly every single time, he's coming over. He's coming over. He's thrown over. He's thrown over. And every single time he alerted Kelly Johnson, he's thrown over, he threw over. So that's how much Tori Lavello values. What's going on? The tiny little parts of the game, and Dave McKay is really good at that. All right, so let's do one quick look ahead to game three, and that, of course, is the conversation around the guy who was on the mound, Max Scherzer. We saw him in game seven be managed very aggressively by Bruce Bochy, who you know, was hopeful about the type of stuff that he would have on the mound because he'd thrown 95 miles per hour in that first start that he made. But Boat showed, look, if he feels like a pitcher doesn't have it, he will be aggressive in getting the guy out. The complicating factor for tonight, Tim, is that Scherzer starting game uh, one of three games in a row. 
And I know from talking with uh, with Boach the other day, he is so cognizant of the idea of not exposing your relievers too many times. You know, we talk about a you know a, a starting pitcher seeing a lineup through the third time. Well, the same dynamic exists when you see relievers multiple times in a World Series. Bukshambi had some great stats on this the other day that the third time that a team sees a reliever, the numbers spike dramatically, and that happens in these series. So I wonder if Boach will have a little bit more patience with Max, knowing that he's got to manage his bullpen three consecutive days. Yeah, totally agree. And this is not an elimination game like right. that game was game seven. Um, and Max, he, he look, he, he the numbers are not good, all right? He's pitched uh, – Six and two-thirds innings and giving up nine hits and seven runs. But he's 104 pitches, 72 strikes. So it's not like he's walking the house and getting himself in trouble. He, I just don't think he has that great slider. But but you're absolutely right. Boach did that was a really gutsy move, taking him out as early as he did in that game. It's one thing to take out somebody who pitched an A-ball earlier this year. It's another to take out a first ballot Hall of Famer. But he saw this was not going in the right direction, and i got to do something now. But I don't think he's going to have uh, – I don't think he can do that tonight for exactly the reason that you said is he doesn't want everyone to see Heaney and Dunning and everyone else every single game, and that's what you're facing if he has to get – are out early. So it's up to Max to, with a little cut on his finger, to give him more than two and two-thirds. All right, three more quick topics for you. One, uh, the other day, Rob Manfred talked to reporters about the need to restore this preeminence of the starting pitcher, which I think the, the game desperately needs right now. I don't think they know exactly how they're going to do that. Maybe it's that uh, – you know, that plan that Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander have talked about, which is attached the use of the starting pitcher to the DH, which is an incentive for managers to keep the starting pitcher in the game the way that, uh, you know, Max describes it. Uh, as long as you have the starting pitcher in the game, you get to keep the DH. However they get there, Tim, I think this is a great, something badly needed within the sport. I think they got to get away from all of these uh you know, all these sprinters, so to speak, and they got to get back to getting the some marathoners for starting pitchers. I think it's a better product if you do that. And look, subtly, this is a way you augment the offense because you'll give hitters a chance to see a starting pitcher a third or fourth time through the order rather than a parade of relievers. What did you think when you heard that Rob had talked about this? Yeah, I'm I'm very much in favor of restoring the value of the starting pitcher. Again, Buster, I do way too much of this, but I'm 66 years old, and I grew up when Danny McLean faced Bob Gibson in a World Series game, and that was the game, the two starting pitchers. And you knew, barring a change, that they're both going the distance. That simply doesn't happen or anything close to that anymore. The industry has done this to our starting pitchers, and now it's up to the industry to change it. And And I agree with you. There's a chance if we see a starting pitcher for another two innings that maybe the offense will figure it out and get a few more hits and there'll be a little bit more action, which is what we're looking for. But what Max was also saying that day when we had that long chat with him, Buster, is that injuries could go down from this yes. because instead of a reliever being asked to come in and throw as hard as he can with that violent stuff more often than not, that's how guys are getting hurt is we're asking them, look, we only want you to pitch an inning, but we want you to throw as hard as you can with every pitch. That's how guys get hurt. And maybe, 
maybe the residue of changing this rule somehow is going to keep our pitchers healthier. All right. The other day when we got news officially that Dusty Baker is stepping away as manager of the Astros, I reached out to some of his former players to get some thoughts. Jay Bruce texted me some great stuff right away. Joey Votto responded by saying, look, I'm overseas. I'm going to send you an audio file uh, eventually. And a couple days after this, I wrote a story. I got this over the weekend, Tim. He is, uh, you know, he is in Europe right now. Joey is. This is the story that he wrote or he talked about in regards to Dusty. Give a listen to this. So I was in Arizona and I got taken out of the game for uh, panic attacks back in 2009. And we didn't know what it was at the time. And the next series was in San Diego. And I was on the field and I had another one and you know I couldn't get through the inning. I came off the field and we decided to take me to a hospital. And as I was you know exiting, the team was the team was on its way to um, the next stop. Everyone was dressed in their suits um, and Dusty came up to me, you know. And, um, you know, I was there kind of in a, in a heap and was not really paying mind to anything around me. And he came up to me and he gave me a, a kiss on the forehead and told me he would pray for me and told me to get well. And uh, then they, I went on my way to the hospital. And, you know, at that time, I, I didn't know... Uh, I just thought he was my manager. I just thought, you know, I would get frustrated at times with the way he challenged me, the way he pushed me, the way, you know, I was a younger player at the time. It was my second full season. And uh, I didn't know he cared like that. And to a man, um, well, very nearly to a man, everyone I've talked to feels the same way. They can sense the love. They can sense the, um, the paternal side. And they know that he has your back. He makes tough decisions based on that. He's, he, he represents the, the connection, the humanness. And, uh, he, you know, he, he's the best for that. So that's my story. So, Tim, you know Joey Votto. You know Dusty Baker. What do you think? Well, I've never heard that before. And that is really, really powerful stuff. We, we did a little goodbye to Dusty on baseball tonight before game one. And Doug Glanville said that when he played one year for Dusty, um, he had just lost his father. And Dusty basically became his second father that year that Doug was trying to play in the big leagues for the first year without his dad. And that really meant a lot to Doug. He didn't cheer up, but he was truly emotional on the air talking about what Dusty Baker had done, just trying in some way to be a replacement for Doug's father because he recognized how much this was hurting Doug and he needed some help. Dusty has tremendous wisdom, Buster. He has such a great feel for people and on a different level, uh, Tony LaRusso, who also had a great feel for people and understood with every player what button to push and when to push it. 
He, he couldn't get through to a player once. He just couldn't get through to him. And he called Dusty Baker, who was managing in the major leagues against him, and said, I can't get through to this guy. I need you to help me. How do you get through to this guy? Mm. And to me, that's one of the great tributes ever, is that Tony La Russa, Hall of Fame manager, couldn't find the best way to talk to this guy. So who did he call for advice? Dusty Baker. That, that says a lot about Dusty to me. Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster. I'll uh, see you soon. Before game two of the World Series, Book Shambi, the legend, got a chance to talk with Mike Hazen, the general manager, head of baseball operations for the Diamondbacks. Give a listen. We get ready for game two of the World Series. And here with Diamondbacks general manager Mike Hazen, your team down one zip. I want to get to some of the baseball stuff on the field, but I guess the the first thing is, what's it like for you? Your job's pretty much done. You're kind of super fan now. What's it like to watch these games? <laughs> My job, we are full spectators. Like it is, it's torture to some degree, right? We're used to we're used to be involved in sort of preparing post game for transactions and what we might need to do for the for the and mapping out the schedule coming up or dealing with the minor leagues and what who's going to be available when we need them and now we have none of that there's no minor leagues there's no there's no other major leagues like there's nothing else for us to scout there's nothing else for us to watch um <clears throat> so yeah we're watching games and stressing with every pitch um you told me one of my favorite stories so far into these playoffs and that is you make the playoffs, you're celebrating, and you haven't told your starting pitcher that he's starting in the game, branded fought, and you just let it out of the bag in the celebration. Awesome. Yeah, not so awesome when I found out I had done that. In the moment, I didn't know I had done that. But, yes, I, I happened to tell him because I was excited to tell him the story and remind him because we, we sent down a lot of guys this year, and you always like to kind of remind them of bring them back to those moments of, and from a perspective standpoint to say, like, look, look how great this is. Like, you did it. Like, you, we sent you down. We told you what to work on. You came back up. We said you were going to play in meaningful games. And now, what do you know? You're, and, and, and he didn't even really look at me that funny, which is the best part. And so I didn't know until after the fact when somebody had said, hey, um, we might need to tell Fott about game one. And I was like, I think I may have already done that. So everyone laughed at me because I'm usually the one to be like, hey, let's make sure we do this the right way. And, and he gets communicated to properly from the coaches or from Tori. And, and this time I did it. During the game, what are you like? If I shadowed you, are you superstitious? What do you like? I'm neurotic. I am full of anxiety. I am superstitious, yes. Um, yesterday, I was walking, wearing on a path between the suite entrance to the bathroom um, when they were watching the TV when they were on, on offense. And when we were on offense, I was watching, standing next to Corey Hahn the whole time. And then we scored some runs, so I stood next to him for the rest of the night. Yeah, it's not good. Um, I'm going to make you uncomfortable here for one quick second and just focus on you and one of the things that's so special about this sport, connections with people. The amount of people that have said to me, I'm just so happy for Mike Hazen. Are you able to take that in, in terms of what you've been able to accomplish, but the connections throughout the sport and how many people are happy for you? Look, this sport is a big fraternity. I've worked with a lot of people around this game. I've had the great fortune in this sport when you work 
365 days a year with people, they, they're not just, they're not coworkers. They're your best friends. They're your best friends in your life. And, and the guys that I work with in Cleveland back in 2000 are some of my best friends now still, and that's never going to change. And I, and, and we all have that. And I, I am very fortunate to have been around a group of people, which is in a lot now with the number of teams I've worked for. Um, and so I appreciate that. But I try to return that when I was on the other side too, rooting for, you know, Cleveland when they were in it in 16 and, and, and things like that and last year. And, and, and so that's what's special about the game. Two more, I promise I'll let you go. Um, this one is a really stupid question, but I still want to see what I get out of you. I know you're competing. Is there any part of you that's able to look at last night's game and say, man, that was an amazing baseball game? Zero. Zero. Like, look, I, 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 I appreciate the reason we're all here is the good of the sport. This sport is moving in the absolute right direction from an excitement standpoint. I think what the commissioner's office did this year with game, with the pitch clock has transformed the game completely. I know that game last night was four hours, and the best part of it is we walked in and we were like, Jesus, that was a long game. Whereas in the past, that would have been every game. And so I think that's the best way that you can differentiate where the game is going. I think the sport is in a in a great spot so i appreciate that and i can turn my attention to no i did not enjoy that one bit down 1-0 just give me your thinking cap for a second how do you win this series what happens in your vision in terms of the most likely scenario for the diamondbacks come back and win this series how do you do it well we're gonna have to neutralize their offense because they took some really good cuts on us last night and i mean between seager and garcia like Good luck. Um, those guys are tough guys for us to carve through. Um, I thought we threw the ball okay. I thought we worked out of situations. I think our bullpen's going to be fine. Merrill, obviously Merrill's next two starts and getting to Gallon, that's going to be big, a big key to this. And then going back home, look, the last time we were down 0-2 to Philly, I think it turned over when we got home and we played in front of our crowd. What we talked about was making sure we went back one-to-one. That's what we have to do this time. Good stuff. Good luck. Thanks. Appreciate it. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Monday, this early Monday? We don't usually ask you to get up early, but we have today. Hi, I'm doing great. And as I've said so many times, I will always, always, always get up early to talk to you on the podcast. So thank you for having me on this early Monday. Well, again, thank you for getting up. Uh, so you were on the field before games one and two. Tell me about some conversations that jumped out to you that you got to have with different people. Oh my gosh. Well, obviously I got to see Bosch, uh, before game two. And as we've documented on this podcast, he and I go back to 2014 spring training when he heard me cheering on behind the plate, turn around, start chatting. We have been friends and, you know, catch up every spring training since then. So it was so great to see him and just, you know, thinking that we were going back to Arizona where I met him and where so much of my sort of personal baseball story starts in a way, going to spring training and being so close to the game. That was amazing. Always great to see him. I also got to catch up with Troy Lovello. 
who uh, Steve Gilbert, our Dynamax reporter from Mobia.com, introduced me to Tori at the Winter Meetings last year, and I've caught up with him a few times since. So it was great to chat with them, and it makes no sense that I talked to the two managers of the teams in the World Series before they manage a World Series game, but here we are. All right, Sarah. So, you know, I love to ask, ask you tough questions. Uh, rank the two World Series manager one and two. No, I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I knew that one would make you smile. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So. Max Scherzer showing tonight in game three. Oh, another three there as well. This will be the third team that he starts for in the World Series. He started for the Tigers. He started for the Nationals, of course, and now he'll be making a start in the World Series for the Rangers. He will be the eighth pitcher to start a World Series game for three franchises. He joins Sean Lackey. Roger Clemens, Sandy Jackson, Charlie Morton, Jack Morris, Kurt Schilling, and Bullet Joe Bush. No one has started a World Series game for more than three franchises. So him doing this ties that record. Number two. Number two is 23. So I wanted to talk about Gabriel Moreno, who, I mean, there's so many players, especially on the Diamondbacks, so I'm so glad are getting this national stage and this kind of focus. And he is one of them. I mean, we knew Corbin Carroll was the rookie of the year favorite entering the year. So baseball fans knew who he was. Gabriel Moreno, who of course came over in that trade from the Blue Jays in the offseason, was a very hyped player and prospect. Has been so good all year for the Nymex in the postseason. So he had a home run in game two. And he was 23 years and 256 days old. That made him the fifth youngest player with a World Series home run as a catcher. The only guys younger than him Johnny Bench in 1970, Bill Delancey in 1934, Tim McCarver in 64 and Buster Posey in 2010. And I know you and I talked about this a couple of years ago when Will Smith was a rookie. And of course, Moreno isn't a rookie, but he's 23. He's young. But the idea of having a team make it to the World Series with a rookie or very young catcher behind the plate, it just tells you by the quality of those names that had been what kind of company he is in. Number one. Number one is four. So we have to talk about Tommy Pham, who, by the way, is also on the list of guys I'm so happy for getting the attention they deserve in this moment. For him getting attention for something he did that was very, very kind. So he became the 18th player in World Series history to go four for four in a game. Nobody had ever gone five for five in a game. In the ninth inning, Jace Peterson comes out to mention, of course, that people like me are sitting here saying, wait, he's not doing the try for that. What's going on? What's going on? But of course, as in baseball, there's always a reason. And uh, Tommy Pham commented on some viral Instagram post late on Saturday night and said, 
police out this narrative that I got pinch hit for Williams this record, whatever it is. He asked Troy Lavella to give Jace Pearson his first World Series of Bad, so just really incredible. But I also want to go back to those four hits. He has two games of four hits this postseason and one prior as well. Three career four-hit games in the postseason. It's time for the most in postseason history with Albert Falls. So really, really incredible and so glad he is getting this stage. Yeah, and it's really neat, as you say, that he deflected for Jace Peterson. He also did for another teammate, uh, Sarah. I, when I interviewed him after game two on the field, I asked him about tying Albert Pujols' records for four-hit postseason games uh, with three, and he immediately spun it to talking about his teammate, Cattell Marte. Give a listen to that. All right, a four-hit game for you, which is old hat in the postseason. Your third in your career. That ties Albert Pools for the most in postseason history. What do you like about hitting here? Uh, I can't tell you anything. Um, but let me mention, Marte made history. Marte uh, now has the longest hitting streak. So, salute to him. All right, Sarah. Thanks for getting up for us on a Monday morning. Of course, of course. See you later. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Eric Young is the first base coach of the Atlanta Braves, someone who I've known forever. We worked together on baseball tonight uh, and one of baseball's favorite people. I think you and Eduardo Perez know everybody, EY. You li- you're like cut out of the same cloth. Like everyone <laughs> loves to see you. How are you well, doing? I, I tell you, thank you. I'm doing great. I tell you, I think Eduardo knows more. Uh, but I've been tagging along with him a few years back when we worked together. But uh uh, it just means you've been around a little bit. You've been around for a while and, and guys respect you and everything. So it's a good thing. All right. We're going to talk about managing and your desire to manage in a bit. But first and foremost, we're in the middle of the World Series. And a couple of things that uh, in particular I wanted to ask you about the Diamondbacks base running, which, wow, it jumps out at, at uh, you when you see them in person. Tell me what you see in the Diamondbacks as a base running entity. Well, I, I tell you what, it definitely fits my description, you know, and what I did uh, when I was a player and how I coached now very aggressively on the base path, I, I think it just creates more opportunities for your team to score runs, especially when you need that. 
in the postseason when you're going against your top pitchers of the other team. And uh, sometimes you're not just going to be able to hit the home run at all times. So you got to manufacture in other ways. And these guys are running the bases aggressively. And I mean, I'm not even thinking about uh, the ramification of getting out sometimes. That's what makes it even uh, even better, but I know uh, Dave McKay over there at first base is doing a wonderful job with those guys, and uh, he's one of the guys I, I pattern my first base coaching after, but these guys are relentless. They are putting pressure on the Texas Rangers, and they're aware of the pitchers aware of the catchers aware of, and I'm sure Bruce Bochy is aware of being a former former catcher himself, so uh, it's just exciting to see that game come back into play a lot this year and even more so in the postseason. So tell me about uh, Corbin Carroll as a base runner from your perspective. You know, I, I'm working actually on a, on a story for, for ESPN.com about this, about how specific and particular he is. And you mentioned Dave McKay. You know, I've heard stories from you, from Paul Goldschmidt, other people talking about what an incredible coach he is. And it feels like it has an impact on Corbin Carroll right away. It definitely has. I think he's uh, one of those type of base uh, stealers. He's a base stealer that can actually steal if anybody can get close to 75 or 100 besides Ronald Acuna, uh, this guy definitely can do it. Uh, and the thing about what I like about him more than anything, that it's on base of getting his possibilities of getting on base. He can hit it. He can bunt it. He can hit the power. Uh, this guy just does a lot of things that you just can't teach at times. But more, more so, Dave has been able to put his coaching ability on him and, and teaching him the little things of even a better base dealer. So, uh, you know, it's just sky's the limit for this young man. I like his aggressive style. Uh, of course, he's fast. We all know that, but uh, he's a gamer. And uh, I, I can see this guy still in a lot of bases until they want him to hit more, more home runs. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, you have a championship ring uh, from 2021 because you were a lower seed who advanced through the playoffs. There's so much discussion about the, the playoff seeding and the playoff system this year uh, because the Diamondbacks and the Rangers have reached the World Series. My perspective, EY, is that's baseball. That's just the nature of the sport. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't if you're a high seed. But there are a number of uh, you know fans are complaining that, hey, we don't have the Braves in the World Series. We don't have – uh, you know, the, necessarily the, the best teams that the won the most games, the Orioles in the playoffs. Tell me about your perspective on that and how, how do you like the playoff system we currently have and would you suggest any tweaks? Well, I, I'm not the type that, that make any excuses for uh, our failure as a team of getting to the playoffs based on a format or a system. Uh, five days is, is, a lot of, is a lot of time away. However, uh, the Houston Astros proved all of us wrong because they advanced after the first round. It's always, when playoffs come about, it's the team that plays the best when you get to that dance. So who can dance the best comes down to who's going to win in advance to the World Series. And going to um, going to the World Series that, that particular time where we went, uh, you know, we were basically, you know, almost a 588 wins, I think, or something like that, low seed. So we got hot at the right time. We were aggressive at the right time. We got clutch hits at the right time. So it's not a matter of the format or anything like that. And I don't want to put any excuses on that. And I let the fans, you know, express their opinions. And that's, that's cool. But we have to figure out a way. If we're going to win a division and we have that week off, we have to figure out a way 
of how we can get our guys best prepared to be ready to go on top of the game, which may be a little difficult. Again, with five days off and a guy trying to hit, but it gives the pitcher more of a rest. That is basically for the pitchers. So you can line up your pitchers the way you want and everybody can get healthy. And as you have uh, uh, noticed about our team, the Braves, we, we always had pitchers that were hurt and we needed that time. Right. So, so we can't complain about all, you know, that we golf and everything like that because basically we needed that time for our pitchers to possibly pitch for us in the postseason. So I think it comes down to um, the teams that win the division have to figure out a way to make sure uh, our guys are hitting on all cylinders at the right time because the postseason has no mercy for anyone. You have to be ready to play. And uh, those teams, the Phillies, were, were ready, more ready than us. And um, because they had played, but they, they, they just were hot. They were swinging the best well. And, and that's what they did the last two years to us. So we have to figure out a way as a team to overcome that. Yeah, you were the most dominant team in the regular season this year, and you you know caught the Mets in 2022 with a, at the end of the regular season. But in both years, the common denominator was your pitching wasn't necessarily set up as well because of pitching concerns and pitching injuries, you know, around certain guys, and uh, you know, so I, and you just never know where you're going to land as a team. All right, let's talk about managing. Uh, this is something that you really want to do. How come? Well, I have a passion and always have been a, a type of person that considers himself a leader. Uh, I've always been able to, when I think about a leader, uh, making other people around you better and helping them out as well. Uh, when you lead, you just can't lead by example. Sometimes I had to be that vocal guy, whether it was football, basketball, or baseball, and playing those three sports coming up in high school as well as playing football and, and baseball in college. I've also had to the opportunity to be around some great managers, you know, presently Bruce Bochy, you know, I've been around Dusty Baker, you know, I've been around these guys and I've listened to, um, listen and learn and watch how they operate each and every day and how they actually communicate with their players. And, and you notice those two guys I mentioned particularly communicates well with their teams and everything. And I think I have that ability as well. And when I got into the coaching, uh, well, after doing my stint with ESPN, I was able to go as a rover with the Houston Astros. And then my first year, I got spoiled. I went to the playoffs with the Arizona Diamondbacks, who was last place the following year. And I'm not saying it's because of me. However, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, how to, the main thing is communicating with players and getting the best out of your players. And if your players are having a great year, then somebody had an effect on them. And the players will tell you who had that type of uh, – uh, coaching ability that motivated them to 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 go to that next level, and, and I think about when I first got with Arizona. You know, my outfielders, I, I had more contact with them, and we had guys like Justin Upton become an MVP candidate who had a great talent. It was just a matter of tapping into it, and I think from a mental standpoint, defensively, what I got him stayed on at mentally, defensively, it carried over offensively. He had one of his best years. I had a young Paul Goldsmith that comes up. And probably was our best base dealer, but he was banging cleanup for us. Cleanup for us. So uh, he was like 21 out of 22 at that particular time. And I'm just saying, when you have an effect and you touch players, and that's what I've always done. It's not just because uh, I became a coach or even when I was a player. You know, I, I consider myself the igniter when I was a player. Uh, if I got the offense going, we were clicking. If I got on base, we were clicking. Uh, I just think I have those qualities 
to lead, motivate, and communicate with players. And nowadays, that's exactly what they need. Somebody that they feel like they can trust, someone that can get in their butt when they have to, someone that can talk, put their arm around them. And some of them, you just don't have to say anything. It's just a matter of just knowing each other and respecting each other. So I think I have those qualities when I think about the people I've been around and, and watch things over 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 my course of my career of being a player and a coach. And I think I can deal with the media as well because I have my stint with ESPN, so I know exactly how that works. And, and uh, so I feel good about the overall aspects of trying to be a manager. And then you're talking about the X and O's. I, I've been in Ron Washington's ear the last six years, so I know he's tired of me asking questions and asking about this situation or that situation. Uh, so I've been around. Then you got Brian Snicker, who who does things similar to what Don Baylor did. When I say that, meaning just let the players play. You know what I'm saying? You put them out there every day, and when they're tired or when they want a day off, uh, you give them a day off. But when you have players that want to be out there every day, that all they think about is 162, you have to be that guy that cuts in there and say, okay, okay, you know, hey, you're doing well. I know you're on 162, but I see you a little tired. I see you lagging. Or something like that. So you have to have that know-how to jump in and say, okay, I'm going to save you because I need you strong in the second half. I need you strong in the playoffs. I don't need you tired that particular time. So I've been able to just watch and and observe and and, and be around some great people. Uh, Walt Weiss was was my manager in Colorado. You know, we were actually teammates, uh, you know, being the shortstop second-base combo. And I watched his demeanor over the years. So I've been around some manager, Buck Showalter, a guy that's very detailed, probably the most detailed manager I've ever been around. Uh, I watched some of the things he's done. So I've gained a lot of experience watching guys and being around. So I think I'm prepared at this moment, being close to 30 years being in professional baseball, that I think I'm, 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 I'm equipped. Not knowing everything, of course, but I'm equipped to be that first-year manager and given that opportunity. All right, I've got two more questions for you. Got about four minutes to go. Um, first off, you know that one of the key questions that everybody get asked when is a managerial candidate: what are what's your view on analytics? Because you got the old school versus the new school. If you feel on it, what's your view on that? Well, I tell you, I've been around people. Uh, my team here in Atlanta, our team has been very successful in dealing with the analytics and how they've able been have been able to present it to us and giving it to us the the, the, the teachers, the coaches. And we relay it on to the players. So it's a great system that works here. And hopefully that's the type of system you want. Uh, I don't have any problems with it. If it's something a general manager uh, wants to implement based on the analytics department that he's developed, then I think it's best that we do that. And then if there's an opinion or a question or something I may have that I don't quite understand, then I should be able to present that to the manager. But I'm not going to be, if that's what the general manager wants, uh, I think that's his opportunity. That's his uh prerogative and that's his authority to do that his power to do that so um, i gotta concentrate on getting my coaches as strong as possible to implement what we're trying to get done and implement in a way that the player receives in a positive manner so we can all be on the same page and that's what it's about i don't want anybody on the field thinking about well why are we doing no 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 no. i'm gonna tell you why we're doing it this is why we're doing this is how we're gonna do it so that manager and that coach That'll be that buffer where they're not concerned about that, but they're just concerned about doing it and making it happen on that field. I need your mind clear on that field. So 
I don't have any problems with that, and, and I don't I don't see foresee any problem. Uh, Ron, Ron Washington did something. I just want to indicate this. Double A wanted to implement something. He said, "Well, you think it's going to take a time? Then we're going to do it tonight. Let's do it now." Type of attitude. We don't. No, no. We don't have to wait. You bring everybody in. We talk about it. Boom, boom. When we walk out that door, that's it. You're all together. I remember this story, Alex Anthopoulos. Alex Anthopoulos bringing you guys the information, saying, and Ron Washington embracing it, bringing in Dansby Swanson and other guys, and you guys jumped on it. We jumped on it right that night, that night. So it can happen. You just got to, it's just how you communicate, relay it, and, and make it happen. And, and it can happen. I, so to answer your question, I have no problem. Analytics. All right. Last one. We got about 90 seconds left. Uh, your use of humor, I think, is really important in the way you communicate with players. And at the same time, hold them accountable. Uh, tell me about that, how you use your humor to uh, connect with players. Well, uh, my, first of all, when I'm, I'm talking to the players, it's like I'm out here with you. I'm in this, I'm in this battle with you. I'm in this war with you. And uh, one thing they can always count on, I've always had this policy. You ask me a question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. If you're not ready for that honest answer, don't ask the question. I say I always be upfront with you, uh, as as far as I can, uh, being on on the staff side. I said, but you'll always get an honest, honest answer from me. And once you've established that respect and love for the players, because I give love, I, I always give love. I know how hard it is to go out there and play uh, this baseball game, and uh, I just want to make sure the guys understand that. No, 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 no. I'm out here with you in the battle together, and that's how we're going to do it. All right, EY. I always love talking with you. You know that. Text you all the time. I've learned so much from you through the years. Uh, good luck, uh, you know, in your quest to become a manager, and, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you so much, Buster, for having me on. Uh, I hope it happens. I hope it happens. Before game one, I talked to Luis Gonzalez, the hero from the 2001 World Series for the Arizona Diamondbacks, about the 23 team. So, Louie, what's this like for you to watch the Diamondbacks get back to the World Series since, uh, really, since uh, your broken bat hit over the infield? Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty unique to be here now. You know, you're thinking 2023 and the Arizona Diamondbacks, if we would have looked back about a month and a half ago, our team was struggling a little bit and um, you know, a, little, a lot of peaks and valleys throughout our season, but they found a way to get hot at the right time, and here we are playing in the 2023 World Series. Pretty special. Give me a couple moments that stick out with to you during this run. Uh, I I just think uh, going to Philly. I mean the tough series there. You know losing the first two games. These guys are resilient. They find a way to to get back. A lot of good young players on our team, and um, they just their perseverance is is like no other. And then to go into uh, play L.A. sweep them. And then to start the uh, postseason play, winning the first two games in Milwaukee, a two out of three series, and taking those, sweeping them. These guys, nobody has ever picked them to win anything all the way through the playoffs, and I think they've used that as a shield to kind of uh, to galvanize themselves and say, hey, we're going to show the world who we are. And this is a great opportunity for a lot of our young players that not a lot of people know about to be able to showcase their skills here across the country. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone recently about how in 2017 World Series, no one would have known Jose Altuve or George Springer or Carlos Correa, and then the the casual fans got to know them. That's what's going to happen with Corbin Carroll. Uh, Another thing, too, with the Diamondbacks playing this deep into it, I thought 
boy, how cool is it for you guys that there'll be conversation about the 2001 Diamondbacks again? Your highlights are going to be shown yeah. over and over and over. Randy, Kurt Schilling. Yeah, it's pretty special. I mean, that was a great team. A lot of good veteran guys on that ball club. And this team is totally different. The way it's built, a lot of great young players on this team, a lot of high energy. Ours was more blue-collar type guys, a lot of castaways from different organizations. We were a veteran club. I think we were the oldest team in baseball that year. And uh, to win the World Series against the Yankees, three-time defending champs, 9-11. There was a lot of different intangibles that were going on at that time. But um, our city is very hungry and starving for a championship, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, whatever it is. And they jump on that on that bandwagon now, and they're pretty excited about having this opportunity now to see a World Series. It's great for us because now, 23 years later, they're getting a chance for these little kids that weren't around have a chance to, to be able to hopefully have a parade. Louis, good to see you. Great to see you, Buster. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster, Bleacher tweets for a Monday. Amy Chapman up first. She writes in, nice job, Buster, for predicting the game-timing home run by Corey Seager off Paul Seawald, uh, which was, I didn't know that you did that until you revealed it to Tim. You got to be feeling feeling riding high after that that call. I, I was feeling good about it. <laughs> I was feeling good about it. You just, you know, just you, you put together two things, and, and then you pick the San Diego Padres to win the World Series like I did this year. <laughs> Buster, let's memory hole that. Or, you know, at least don't, don't bring it up now. Come on. You're so modest. Um, Amy Chapman, she's, she's looking for a foot update over here. Amy, we're walking around the house. Um, I can take the dog out a little bit. She's very tiring on the old foot and leg, though uh, she's pretty erratic, but making uh, you know making myself useful around here for especially for my pregnant wife, it's it's been hard. So I'm glad I can make dinner and do laundry and, and all that sort of stuff. Let's go to Brian Stone King at Brian Stone King. He writes, and I know the networks are in control, but I feel like Major League Baseball should put certain demands in their deal. Postseason LCS World Series need to be on Sundays in prime time. Cowering to the NFL's regular schedule is weak. Make them put your sport in the spotlight. I don't think it's cowering. I think it's uh, responding to the face of reality. Mm. Like the NFL is king on Sundays. W- what is the point of butting your head against that? Yeah, I agree. It's I, you know, I mean, we could we could talk. And I I love baseball. I love the beauty of baseball. And the fact is, is that the NFL is the most popular sport in the country. And there's no doubt about that. So why why try to you know ignore that? Yeah, they're not going to try and prove a point and like sacrifice viewership. I can't ratings, say. <laughs> right. right? Why would Fox do that? Yeah, I mean, Fox. Fox is sitting there with a choice of its lineup, and they're like, "Hmm, we can either have a rating that's higher, or we're going to have a rating that's lower." It's sort of like us on <laughs> Sunday Night Baseball. People will ask the question, you know, why don't you put the Miami Marlins on more? Why don't you put the, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays on more? Well, you know what? Red Sox and Yankees they rate more. Mm-hmm. People watch. It's pretty simple. You can watch whatever you want to these days. I mean, <laughs> you, right. don't, you don't exactly. have to watch it if you don't if you're not interested. Um, okay, let's go to Billy Go- Goat at Midnight Cluck. Uh, Billy writes in as someone from Ireland who can only watch the condensed games the following morning. Can you discuss how the pitch clock has affected these playoff games? Game one seemed to have plenty of action and a great flow despite the four hours to complete. Oh my God! It was such a refreshing uh, pace. Yeah, and we talked about this. That game one of that World Series of this World Series 
would have lasted five to five and a half hours mm-hmm. uh, without a pitch clock. It was amazing. And I didn't see the final time on game two, but Sarah and I were texting back and forth during the game. I think it was the second fastest World Series game since 2010 for baseball to have a playoff game to go 245. I think that's great. Yeah. Where you can turn on the game at eight o'clock Eastern time or seven central and, and have a belief that you're going to see the final pitch. Because for years and years and years, you know, fans would complain, hey, if you're a kid, you you, you know, you're not going to see the end of that game. That's right. And now you have a chance to see the end of the game. I think it's been phenomenal, the pitch clock in the postseason. Oh, yeah. And I would say this. They need to go back. They need to apply the same rules in the regular season. Uh, it, you know, the same rules in the regular season should work in the postseason, which means in the extra innings, put a ghost runner at second base. Whoa. The idea that you play – the idea that you play that rule, uh, you you change that rule that you've been playing under the whole year is ridiculous, you know? And I like the tension and the pressure that's built on these teams immediately when you put a runner at second base in extra innings. We were sitting there in the runway, you know, watching game one, and you didn't know if it was going to be like that game in the 2018 World Series that went on and on and on. 18 innings, Dodgers and Red Sox. I think they next year put the ghost runner at second base because that's the rule that they play under the whole year. Damn, dude, you might be the only person calling for the ghost runner in the in the postseason. I, I just I, I think it makes no sense to change the rules once you get into the playoffs. Yeah. All right, there you go. Uh, one more, Corey Rukert at Corey R underscore twelve writes, and can we point the finger of the Cardinals' recent struggles at their recent history of bad trades? Garcia, Rosarena, yes. Gallon, yes, <laughs> Randy Rosarena, <laughs> ever heard of uh, him? You know, Sandy Alcantara. Uh-huh. I, you know, I said to someone the other day that watching the playoffs for the Cardinals front office must be like pulling a scab every single day. Like, <laughs> yeah, that guy was on our team. Oh, and that guy was on our team, and that guy was on our team. I, I, you know, they just uh, look. The best general managers will make trades uh, where they'll lose a guy, and then after the fact, they go, "Boy, did we blow that one?" Jordan Alvarez is with the Houston Astros because the Dodgers traded him for Josh Fields, a relief pitcher. <laughs> Think about that. And the Dodgers are phenomenal at what they do. Uh-huh. But yeah, it has not worked out well for the Cardinals. All right, there you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on. X Twitter, whatever you want to call it, while you're watching the game tonight, we're going to record the game, the the podcast after the game, which is I love. We're going to do that tonight and tomorrow night. Very excited, Buster. And I think we're going to have Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez and Boog Shambi all shouting in a car, all of us together. <laughs> we did this on radio the other day. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Eric Young. My thanks to Tim Kirkton, Sarah Langs. Parker Owens, Taylor Schwenk. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.